President Vladimir Putin has apparently set a deadline for victory in Ukraine. But what does it actually mean? With some insight into the latest in the war in Ukraine, we're joined this morning once again by Andrew Rasoulis, fellow at the Canadian Global Affairs Institute and an expert in Eastern European affairs. Good morning once again to you, Andrew. Thanks for being with us. Good morning to you, too, and uh, well, thank you for having me again. Appreciate it. Let's talk about this deadline. Putin apparently setting a deadline of May 9th, where he wants he wants the war to be finished at that point. So what is the significance, and why even make a proclamation like that? Well, it is actually interesting that he went out and would have gone public on something like that, because, um, it, it, I mean, a lot of negotiations, in my experience, is that, you know, there are natural sort of political objective dates, but I'll, and, the, and May 9th is a very important day. It's Victory in Europe Day. Now, in the Allies, the West, in, uh, they've celebrated on the 8th. So in Canada, VE Day is marked on the 8th of May. In Russia, it's uh, it's the 9th. There's, a, there's an interesting story behind that, why there were two signatures in World War II, but I, we don't have the time here, I'm afraid. The point is, that's Victory in Europe Day, which is extremely important for Russia. Uh, th- that is the end of the, the, the victory of the Great Patriotic War and the Russian 20 million dead and so on and so forth. So clearly, they want to bring this war that currently is underway to a victorious conclusion, and they can have that Victory Day parade, because they do every 9th of May. The Russians have a military parade on Red Square as the Victory Day parade. Now, the Ukrainians also do the same thing. And they've shifted their date now to align to the West, but they will have one on the 8th of May. So there's actually an incentive for the Ukrainians, as well as the Russians, to declare victory and have parades that day. Now, having said that, uh, we should take note that uh, tomorrow there will be, for the first time, face-to-face talks between Russians and Ukrainians now in Istanbul. So they've had them before in Belarus. Now the Turks are hosting it. I think things may have progressed. Okay, well, let's talk about the fact is, you know, you've got this date on the calendar, and that we've talked about and the significance of it for Russia. But Russia, when they came out, had figured that, uh, from what we're hearing in reports, it would take two or three days to, to gain access to many of the, you know, um, uh, major cities in Ukraine. It has not worked out that way. We're hearing about the fight that these Ukrainians have, not just the soldiers, but the people. What would they have to do differently? Because uh, this has not been a cakewalk for the Russians. No, exactly it hasn't. And, and the Russian position now in negotiations that we're able to see, uh, and there's a lot of this behind the scenes, but we, we, President Zelensky gave uh, an interview uh, to Russian journalists uh, just in the last uh, few hours. So we're able to, to put together from that, plus uh, other things that the Russian delegation have said in terms of their talk. So there is an outline emerging. Um, and so if you, if you just walk away from Putin's maximalist stuff about, you know, regime change and denazification and go to the uh, common areas of discussion right now, but, and we're seeing it. So the first and most important is Ukrainian neutrality. This was number one from the Russian point of view, and Zelensky has agreed to that in principle. There is discussions and there are ongoing negotiations now about security guarantees with certain Western countries like the United States, Turkey itself, possibly Germany and France and so on. Um, and, and so that, but that, that's moved a lot, that one. Now, President Zelensky in the last uh, interview he gave, uh, he's also mentioned very critically that he's prepared to negotiate the status of the Donbass and Crimea. Okay, as opposed to before, where they were saying there was no, nothing to negotiate, the Russians simply have to leave. So now, 
the door is open for some give. And so there's speculation now. Mm. Uh, would it be a, like a Hong Kong sort of arrangement mm. that you would have uh, a lease? You know, the Russians would lease it from the Ukrainians. It's their sovereign territory, but they lease it. Now, from 1991 to 14, Russians did lease Sevastopol, uh, for the basin Sevastopol, from the Ukrainians in Crimea. So there's already a bit of a precedent there. So it's interesting. And, uh, you know, it's really all about the land, let's face it, right? And and isn't that, Zelensky has made it very clear as of this morning, that Ukraine's priority is ensuring its sovereignty and preventing Russia from carving up the country. But he also said that, you know, there is opportunity if he could get a face-to-face with Putin. Is that even a possibility? Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah, so so you made two very important points. Uh, on the sovereignty issue, yes. So Ukraine, bottom line, remains sovereignty. And so there are, then there the diplomatic ways of massaging that, which I mentioned, the Hong Kong solution, the leasing solution, de facto, de jure. There, there are diplomatic pathways to achieve that. The the meeting, uh, so so this one here is, is very much a situation where the Ukrainians are pressing uh, a head-to-head, like a face-to-face meeting between Zelensky and Putin, and uh, the Russians are saying, Sure, we can do that, but only when we have substantive, uh, almost an agreement to sign. This is where the Russians are. So they have not said no to such a meeting, but they're saying not yes. We want to see more progress by our negotiating teams to the point when if the two leaders get together, they're more or less going to ink the agreement. It's interesting to me, Andrew, because, uh, you know, Vladimir Putin, a man we know so much about, but at the same time, know so little about and uh, you know i'm thinking that ego has to be playing into this to a certain extent particularly when you lay a date down like may 9th what is it going to take for vladimir putin to walk away from this being able to kind of present it as a victory to his people when they've lost a lot of soldiers who perhaps from what we're hearing did not go into this thinking they'd be battling civilians and not liberating ukraine from nazism so it's it's an interesting cobweb that he's in what's it going to take it's going to, well, they have control of the media, which is uh, very important for them, how he shapes the, the domestic opinion. So the West won't see it like that. But what's important for Putin is that uh, the Russian people see it like that. Now, and the younger people, they have access to other ways, other Internet sort of things. So, so he's not going to convince everybody of that. But he may convince a, a significant amount to maintain his position of power. Now, he, he is diminished right now as we speak. Uh, we'll have to see how this how he massages the end result. And and there is this possibility now that, that there could be an agreement. And it's not out of the realistic element that he could have it by May 9th. It's conceivable, not guaranteed, but conceivable. And, they, and then you do spin. I mean, and he would be spinning this one. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, therefore, he would spin it as a victory in terms of the limited objectives. There's a Russian senior general the other day. He walked back the whole objective saying what the Ukrainian, what the Russian military operation was all about was, uh, was to secure the Donbass. That's, that's all that, you know, that's what they've said. So they basically walked back their objectives, say, well, we weren't after that. We were after this. Fascinating. Thank you again for joining us with your perspective. Always love hearing what you have to say and a great discussion around what is going on in Ukraine right now. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Thank you very much. Andrew Rasoulis, fellow at the Canadian Global Affairs Institute and an expert in Eastern European affairs.